to be able to follow along um, in this in this journey that we're in. <clears throat> John has got a unique. Yep. Head out. <laughs> forgot. After all that youth excitement. For your final day before the transition. Give it up. All right. <clears throat> I just thought they would want to stay and hear this great message. <clears throat> Where we want to start in First John is with a question of, of how do we know what we know? How do we know what we know? Because um, the, the scriptures say you can know. And <clears throat> John wanted everyone who believes in the Son of God to know that they know that they know that they have eternal life. But, but how do we know what we know? We just talked about little babies and how they grow up and that kind of a thing. And you think of how do we experience our world? How do we learn what, quote, reality is, right? When we're, when we're babies, we're taking in all of this information and we're still learning about what and how babies uh, learn, what they're capable of, um, what uh, crawlers and, and walkers and toddlers and the, the capability of their minds, which are growing at an, an, an infinitesimal rate. Um, their brains are, are, are connecting in so many more neurons, but primarily they're, they're living and growing up in their home they're living and growing up in the environment of the parenting that they receive. They're living and growing up possibly in the context of siblings. And so they're beginning to be able to learn and to know <clears throat> reality from that. Really, can you get me some water? Sorry. <clears throat> It'll be better that way. Wow. Sharing. This is how tight we are as staff. Let's see how I do. <laughs> My own water boy. I'm sorry, I had to say it. Can you get with that, Louis, that Louisiana accent? <laughs> sorry, Rolly. <clears throat> but, but how we know and how we begin to, to intake and process information grows, right? And it expands. We have our extended family. We have grandparents who, who hold us and take care of us, maybe. We have uh, the extended family, the, the, the friend circles that we're in, the play groups, and then uh, the traveling that happens, and eventually school. And we begin to form a basis for seeing the world. It's a, a worldview. It's how we, we see and we experience and know and understand the world. And in that, we have to be able to understand how we can know what we know. In philosophy, this is, and in theology, it's called epistemology. Fun word to say, so say it with me. Epistemology. You, you all didn't have fun because you didn't all say it, but it's a, a fun, epistemology. So we're just going to start kind of classroom here for a moment, and we're going to talk about this. Epistemology is the theory of knowledge, especially regards, with regards to its methods, its validity, and scope. It's the investigation, listen to this, of what distinguishes justified belief from opinion. Right? How do we know what we know? Because everyone in the world, the atheist, 
the Hindu, the no God box checker, the Christian has beliefs, has a basis upon which they are operating in terms of life. Well, what is it that distinguishes justified belief from opinion? So epistemology seeks to answer questions such as what makes justified beliefs justified? What does it mean to say that we know something? And fundamentally, how do we know what we know? Now, not to bend your mind too much, but, but this is really at the core, because if you begin to read John's writings in the scripture, the Gospel of John, or the letters of John, or even the book of Revelation, there's a word truth that he often uses. And for us, in a world where we have now questioned any source, right, of knowledge, any source of wisdom, any source of, quote, fact, because how do we know what's news and fake news, right? That's our world, correct? But if we can't know how we know, we're going to begin to struggle. So there's realms in which you learn about how you can know. A bunch of you are scientists. How, much of you, how many of you are either now in the field of science or you're studying science? Be proud. Get that hand up. Exactly. So in science, there's systematic observation. There's measurement, experiment, and formulation, testing and modification of what? Hypotheses. And that's how you're going to know if it's true. Is it observable, scientist? Is it repeatable? scientist, right? Are you with me? Right? And upon that, you can say, I know that that is true. Any law students or anybody studying law? I'm looking at you, Rosa. <laughs> no, you don't have to be ashamed to be a future lawyer. It's okay. <laughs> we need you, especially if you have the heart of a Christian uh, going into law. But from law, what? It's very, very different than science. Because you're having to reconstruct oftentimes what happened in the past. So you have to find evidence. It's evidentiary. And or you have to find people who were there who personally experienced it to give testimony. And then what you want to do is you want to build a burden of proof that is unquestionable in terms of what and how um, you can know that something is justifiable belief and not just opinion. Christians, are you with me on this? This matters to 1 John. It matters for all the messages you're going to hear in the rest of this series to be able to grasp hold of this. For those who go to seminary, graduate school for pastors, and begin a study of what's called systematic theology, it's usually broken into two or three segments. And the idea of systematic theology is, what's everything you can know about a subject from the whole Bible, and then you go to the next subject? So, for instance, Christology would be, what's everything we can know about the Christ from the whole Bible? Pneumatology, pneuma being spirits, what's everything that we can know about the spirit? And in systematic theology, historically, over the last... Uh, four or five hundred years, there's been a process by which those are ordered, and they're ordered sequentially. In other words, you have to know about this subject in order then to know about the next subject. 
in order then to know about the next subject properly. So you have to start somewhere and then you're going to end somewhere. And that is the end. It's the thing that many times so many Christians are curious about. It's like, what's going to happen at the end? What's going to happen at the end? In systematic theology, basically it says, unless you know all the other subjects, you can't properly understand how things are going to close out and open anew in the new heavens and the new earth. Just a little aside on that. But here's what I want you to know. When you study systematic theology at the seminary level, at the graduate level, you would think they might start with theology, which is what can we understand about God? The nature and the character of God. But you actually start with epistemology. How can we know what is true? How can we know what is true? And in our postmodern philosophical age that encourages relativism and all beliefs being equal, it shakes the very foundations of our mind and our heart. We're challenged deeply. If you've not been challenged deeply, especially if you're at Davis, I don't know what classes you've been taking. How do we know what we know? There's a, um, several words for knowledge in the scripture, but the one that we want to focus on is oida, and there's a screen for it. Intimacy, a personal knowing, awareness. It's, it's a personal engagement of knowing. It's knowing that you know that you know. Let me give you a couple of examples. So I could study and understand the sport of lacrosse by watching videos, by reading books, by talking with people who've played lacrosse. But if I've never put on the shoulder pads and the helmet and the mask and picked up the stick, tried to throw the ball or run around the green, there's a difference between knowing lacrosse and knowing lacrosse. Knowing about lacrosse and knowing lacrosse. I tried to pick the most obscure support I could think of so that we could try and relate to it. Let me give you another example. Mark Zuckerberg, he, he's been in the news lately, hasn't he? So he's a pretty public character. Um, you, there's a lot you can know about him. You could watch the movie Social Network. You could read books, lots of articles. You could watch testimony. And you could actually know Zuckerberg really, really well. I'll use another character, Beyonce, right? I found out yesterday from my wife that people who are super fans of Beyonce get 70,000 you know, likes on their Instagram when they write about Beyonce, not just Beyonce. It's just like crazy followership, like where they know every single detail of their life, the super fan, right? But that super fan may have never actually spent time with Beyonce, sat down with Beyonce, talked with Beyonce, right? I could say, I know Mark Zuckerberg, I know about Mark Zuckerberg, but I've never spent time with him at Facebook headquarters. I've never spent time getting to know him. Does that make sense? You get Oida? Oida is the second one. Oida is the second one. Episteme, where we get epistemology, is knowing stuff. Knowing book stuff. Now, all of you are scientists, right? You study physics in a book, then you take physics lab. Physics lab is so fun. 
chemistry lab's even more fun, right? But you have this idea that you know something and then you put it into action, you put it into practice. Everybody with me? Now why is this important for us? Why did Pastor Jeff take so long to talk about this? Take a look. It's because the purpose, next slide, the purpose of the book is actually later in the book. But since we're starting the book, we better take a look at it. Read this out loud with me. Ready? Read. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, somebody's going to preach on this passage, so I'm not going to give too much away. But here's the deal. If you've been freed from your sin through faith in Christ, you've been given the gift of the Spirit, you've started your eternal life. Your eternal life doesn't end with your last breath on the earth. Your eternal life's already started. So what John is wanting uh, us to know in this book, and not know about, but know. Not know about, but be intimate with, is the knowledge that we have eternal life. And when you know you have eternal life, when you have a belief in a relationship with the Son of God, you are now a superwoman. You are now a superman. Your life changes dramatically as you begin to understand that there's an unshakable connection for you with the God who saved the world and saved me by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and in the power of his resurrection. Amen? So I, I really want you to, to think about we're going to talk about a few things from the, the first chapter today. But in the next eight weeks, in May and June, as we even transition leadership in terms of the, the, the leadership of this church with Pastor Steve coming to say, you know what? I'm going to walk in the light, and I'm going to know that I know that I know. And I'm going to give you especially two concepts today in this message that I want to ask you to begin to put to work in your life this week that I believe over this series and even in the rest of your life will be transformative in terms of what and how you can do that. Now, one last word of, of professorial work, and then we'll get into this passage, is you need to understand that, that John is a different kind of cat than Paul or the other writers in the New Testament. So if you've not spent a lot of time with him in the, in the Gospel of John or in the letters, he writes differently. The way that I describe it is he kind of writes in loops, right? So these are loops. He's moving forward with ideas, but he's coming back again to themes. And you see this in key words that, that are used um, words that you'll even hear this morning, love, light, truth, sin, fellowship. So look for those key words as you read 1 John. Read 1 John every week. It's very simple. It's not a long letter. Read the whole thing. And just keep looking at, oh, those are, that's, that's, he's coming back to light, or he's coming back to sin, or he's coming back to truth. And be able to see how he ties those themes together in his book. Okay, so if you have a Bible, let's look at 1 John chapter 1, um, and we'll begin in verses 1 to 4. 
And very simply, you're going to hear clearly the process by which um, uh, we just talked in terms of knowing, in terms of John and what he says. That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we have beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested and we've seen and bear witness and declare unto you the life, the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard and uh, declare we to you, that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. And we write these things that, that our joy would be made full, verses 1 to 4. So in this passage, very simply, I, I put that simple statement. They knew that they knew that they knew. So as John's writing this, and the people who are with him, he uses the plural. Notice that he uses the plural. But he's talking about the direct witness that they had experienced, the intimate, personal knowing and relationship. Now, John, may, of course, personally had that. This is later in his life. We believe that most of the apostles now are dead. And so those who are around him must have experienced this knowing of who Jesus Christ is in the way that we're talking about it here, by the working of his Holy Spirit, by the confirmation in our mind and our heart of what's true. John chapter 1, verse 14 is a parallel. You can write it down. It's where, where, where that opening section of the Gospel of John says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. John here is saying Jesus was here, eternal in nature. The physical reality of his presence was with us. How do we know? We heard audible sounds. We saw visual sights. We touched physical person. Jesus wasn't just a spirit. Jesus wasn't just an idea. Jesus wasn't this mystical being who came in kind of as a superhero, and we may or may not have encountered him. This is many years after Jesus has died and risen again, maybe even 60 years later. And so false ideas about Jesus were beginning to be sown, using another word for knowledge, which is gnosis. They were the people who became later um, known as Gnostics, right? But there was a secret knowledge that you could have, and that secret knowledge had to do, one of those things was that Jesus wasn't really physical. He was really just spirit. John says in this kind of incipient Gnosticism uh, time, he's saying, no, you need to understand Jesus is real. Jesus is knowable. And we want you to have the joy that we experience. Discovery joy comes in the knowing of Jesus Christ. Whenever you move toward Jesus, when you take time, when you get up a little extra early, when you set aside time at lunch hour to walk by yourself and click your mind out of work mode and into Jesus, you know, um, I want to just think or meditate upon you. Every time you make a motion toward the Lord, he makes a hundred times motion toward you. 
And he wants you to experience an evidence of that is joy. An evidence of that is this experience of a deeper um, assurance and knowledge of, of, of who he is. And when John writes this with his group that's with him, they're saying, look, there's nothing that would make our joy stronger than to see your, the joy that can come in your life through knowing Jesus in this way. And you'll find that your faith and your confidence grows. So after that great opening, um, John just jumps right into it. So let's read verses 5 to 7 about light and darkness. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, it's very helpful in these different segments to say, you know, what is the issue that John's trying to get at? So the issue that John is trying to get at in this section is the idea of saying versus doing. <laughs> this is unpopular in church to talk about this. <laughs> so Jesus helped me. The, the difference here is about saying versus doing. It's saying, if then, if we say we know him, but we walk in darkness. In other words, we come to church, shined up, buffed up, ready to go. But then we go Sunday afternoon or Monday or Wednesday or Thursday, and we do things that are diametrically opposed to what God says is life and light and goodness, then we just say, God, you're a liar. It's pretty strong language, very strong language. And he's saying, look, this is the very starting point that you have to understand, that God is light. Jesus came into the world as the light. John chapter 1 Verse 9 says that Jesus is the light that was coming into the world. If you read the Gospel of John, there's famous I am statements. And Jesus happens to say, and you can say it with me if you know it, I am the light of the world. Many of you know John 3.16, very famous verse. Might even talk about it later in the message here. But later in that passage... Um, John 3, 19 to 21 says this. If you write down a note, look at it later. Gospel of John 3, 19 to 21. Um, it says this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it might be seen plainly that they, uh, what they have done has been done in the sight of God. All right. Really basic discipleship principle. God knows everything going on in your life right now. He knows your thoughts. He knew what you did when you got up this morning. He knew what happened last night and Friday night. You can't fool God. You, you can't hide from God. God is light. 
and in him there's no darkness at all. Now we can choose to walk in the darkness, and this is a very clear contrast. Thank you, teaching team. There's a very clear contrast here between light and darkness. You're either in the light or you're in the darkness. Is everybody with me on this? If you're moving away from God, you're like, you know what? I'm nervous about my actions, so I'm going to move away from them. Did you know that uh, three-quarters of all crime happens at night, at, in the dark? Isn't that interesting? Three-quarters of all crime happens when the sun is down. There's less light. We move toward darkness to be able to kind of do what we want to do or satisfy the urge that we have or to, to, do, the, to do the thing which is going to um, help maybe the pain or the hurt that's inside us. We feel like it's going to help. But, but very clearly here it says, you know, the answer really is to move into the light. And um, when you think about it, you could have a little bit of light like, as I look out here, there's, there's more light in the center section. So if you're taking notes, by the way, from the sides, it's better to sit here because you can see better, right? I'm, my eyes are such that if I'm in these side sections, i got to flip on my little flashlight on my phone to be able to write something down, right? More, there's more light and there's less light. So when you move into the light, you want to say, how can I have greater light? How can I have greater exposure? How can I know that if I move into the light that I'm experiencing the light of God in my life? And I believe, and we understand from other scriptures, that, that God illumines our life more and more and more as we grow in the knowledge of him through his word, as we fellowship with one another, as we know more and more that the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Does that make sense? And so here's the first of the two things I'm going to teach you today that was taught to me by uh, one of my mentors. It's a simple prayer. God of light, shed more light on our path. Let us see and know you and one another. If God is the God of light, it's okay to say, God of light. Just like we would say, most high God. That's scriptural. Just like we would say, um, True and living God, just like we would say God the Father. So we can say, God of light, shed more light on our path, illumine this, awaken us, open our eyes, let us see, bring awareness, bring understanding to our marriage situation, bring understanding to what I need, God, from you to be able to, to navigate this challenging relationship to be able to get through this difficult uh, class, to work through this life transition, to endure the pain of losing a loved one. God, bring more light into this situation, to be able to, to say, even in the most difficult, challenging moments and situations of life, to say, God, I, I don't know all that I need. I may still be in a dimly lit room, Bring more light. Is everybody with me on this? God is so faithful to answer that prayer. I tell you from experience. God, shed more light on our path. Help us to know and understand. Everyone who has Jesus in the middle of their marriage has prayed some kind of prayer like this before. 
where, where we're asking God, God, we don't know how to handle what is in front of us. We don't know how to deal with each other right now. But we know you know. And it says if they move into the light, what is the assurance? Relationally. Relationally. We will have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Christ will purify us from all sin. Right? All right. Quick question as we transition to the next point. How many people at any point in your life have committed a sin? This is a show of hands. All right. You guys are all Christians, I guess. So it's good that you confess that. It's hard sometimes because we, we've, we sinned, and sometimes in our mind we go, hmm, okay, well, we were sinners, and then we met Jesus, and he forgave us of our sin, and then it becomes more difficult to confess sin once you become a Christian, because somehow we get this idea that now we're a Christian, and we have Holy Spirit, and we have truth from Scripture, and, you know, then sin would just go away, and, or we would have easier victory over it some more in our life. Is everybody following me? But there, John's writing to, to believers, and he says, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you'll have fellowship with one another, and you'll be purified from all sin. In other words, you're going to come into the place of illumination, of oida, of truth, of knowledge, and it's going to be okay. And God's going to be able to navigate that and work with that. And that's how it transitions into the second starting point, is to say we've got to agree about sin and the solution. So the issue in this second part, verses 8 to chapter 2, verse 2, the issue is sinning. The issue is sinning. I'll read it for you. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us, the word again, purify us, from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the question that I have for you is a question that I actually brought up in the last message that I shared here, two in a row on the theme of sin, is do you believe that, that all have sinned? One of the, the, the famous and easiest verses to memorize in the Bible is 3.23 of Romans. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, the majority of Americans actually believe that people are basically good and they do bad things sometimes. Now this is maybe something you're going to have to really grapple with in terms of your worldview. The scriptures say that we that our goodness has been fundamentally corrupted, right? So we're given to sin first, not goodness. That's what the scripture is saying. If we say we're without sin, again, John's writing to believers, could be a comfort for all of us, right? If we say we're without sin, 
We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The truth in us shows that we're not all yet we can be. There are things that are holding us back. There are fleshly appetites. There are temptations. There are issues that we're dealing with. And we're going to be continuing this in this process of purification and sanctification our whole life. So we have to constantly examine ourselves in the light of the truth about that fact. But the assurance is if we confess our sins, God is faithful to what? Forgive us. God is faithful to forgive us. Say that with me. God is faithful to forgive us. I really need you to say that because a lot of you need it. God is faithful to forgive us. God is light, but God is merciful. God is just. God is ready and, and excited to when we agree with that, right? Confession, if you've never heard the definition of it, confession is agreement with the truth. Confession is agreement with the truth. So we are confessing as believers to say, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means there's going to be a day where we live in righteousness. There'll be a week where we live in righteousness. There, there's a season that we, we live in righteousness because the Holy Spirit of God is at work in us that he confesses that we do that. That's an assurance of pardon. It's saying that we have that hope that's in us. God is, is very gracious. When we talk, I talked earlier about light, a little light and more light. Sometimes when you come to Christ, you're for, I want you to know that you're forgiven, past, present, and future. The, the, the work of Jesus is, big word, efficacious. The, the work of Christ is effective, is perfecting in you in that moment in a way that you can't even begin to understand. But now, as you walk with God through life, in the light, as you walk with the Holy Spirit in you, God is so good to not show you all the healing that you need to go through. God is so good to show you, not show you all the sin that are issues in your life right away. I've often thought about, because now I've lived and walked with God for many decades, what if he showed me it all at once? I'm sure I would have died. I would have had like a heart attack. God's been gracious to eliminate some obvious things at first, right? Maybe evil acts that I was doing or destructive acts toward me or other people. Or for me, like, my language was a little salty. Actually, a lot salty. You know how I did it? I started counting how many swears I did per day, and I tried to reduce the number to honor God. Eventually, I didn't swear on an entire day, and it was a victory for me. This was in my teenage years. I'm telling you, it's work to come into the light as you cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You're, you're doing actions as well. Is everybody following with me? 
But I had to agree with the truth of God that my language, how I was using language, what I was saying to other people was not honoring God, was not good, was not life-giving, was not building others up. It was tearing them down. And I had to get that out of my life. Practical understand that? So I had to confess my sins and believe that God was forgiving my sins and purifying me from unrighteousness and making me a new man. And then eventually God could show me the things that I, that I needed to be doing so I could not just not tear other people down, but actually begin to build other people up. The sins of omission, the things that I wasn't doing, and God showed me over time. John says in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, my little children. He's saying that because, probably because they're young in faith, probably because he's a very old man at this point. But it's because he has the heart of a father toward them, and he's wanting them to know and to understand that you can have and walk eventually a life without sin, and that's part of your, your knowledge and your understanding of how great God is, how great his love is for you, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, his atoning sacrifice so huge that the whole world could be saved through him. But you are saved because you've received him into your life. So second thing that I'm going to give you as we close, uh, worship team can come on up to lead us in our time of communion is this idea of um, a real starting place in our life with God. If you're new to the faith, um, there's going to be something that, that I call truth encounter. In other words, you're reading something in the scripture. It's going to happen as you actually read 1 John, where you have held on to something that you feel is true, but you read something that challenges that in your life. And you have a decision to make. Am I going to agree with the truth? Am I going to confess and come into agreement or alignment with the truth that God's revealing to me from his word? Or am I going to say, actually, I know better? Part of your knowing with God as you move through this letter and as you hear the messages in the upcoming weeks is going to be, if I know and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I want to be able to know that I have eternal life. I want to know the eternal security I have. I want to know that the atonement of Christ has worked in me. And I want to encourage you, this idea of truth encounter is going to be that you actually say out loud, I used to believe this, but because I see it here in your word, I'm going to begin now to believe that what you have said is true. And I'm going to come into alignment with the truth that God is revealing to me. When we take communion each week, we are, we are, we are proclaiming the truth. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. We're proclaiming the forgiveness of the sins that we receive through Christ in the bread and in the cup. It's why we do that every week here at Discovery Church. So I want to encourage you to be reading, to look at the scripture. Is there a sin that you need to confess today so that you can receive the forgiveness of your sins? Realign with God's truth and walk into this week empowered to walk in the light.
Amen. We're going to enter into our time of response, and this is an opportunity for us to sit and reflect on what we heard this morning, to really spend time with God and allow the Holy Spirit to move through us and, and to lead us and to convict us. And I would encourage you during this time to spend time praying and asking God 